What may be before us, we do not know, nor how long the journey. It's the past. And here's another marvel. A consignment of eggs from a famous poultry farm in England is flown by airmail to Sydney and kept fresh and fertile all the way by a new secret process. The records. And the Regent Street jeweller has become the setting for an exhibition of the work of Karl Fabergé, that great craftsman of Tsarist Russia. The reviews. Serene white leg and hen equaled the world's record by laying 357 eggs in 365 days. Here she goes into her palatial hen house for the epical feat, which requires absolute privacy. Группа делегатов выразила желание побывать на Томилинской птице фабрике. Участницы сельскохозяйственной the history. This, mes is the exhibition of the Electricité de France. But in France, electricity does strange things. You see before you a tray, just an ordinary tray. Voila, it floats in the air. It's a podcast. Years ago, a knife, fork, and spoon were almost to the sole implements of culinary torture. Today, gadgets are as numerous as the variety of dishes. You all know the egg slicer, very handy instrument that can slice an egg with mathematical precision, if you have an egg. P-R-R-P. Past records were counted plainly. Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. You might have heard this advice before. You might even think you know what it means. But like the Venus de Milo or Hopper's Nighthawks, the author of the work is often contested. And though this quote is often attributed to the likes of Les Brown, Oscar Wilde, Mark Twain, and even someone named Norman Vincent Peale, no one can say for certain where this phrase originated. But not only that, the meaning itself is up for interpretation. Some take it to mean, and this is from Quora, a self-described question-and-answer website where questions are asked, quote, Do not aim to be famous, aiming to be among the stars. Aim for a bigger goal, bigger than yourself. And I'm alighting a lot here because this user is particularly long-winded. Let that be the driving force of your passion and let fame be a byproduct of that passion, end quote. In other words, don't just chase fame in vain. Instead, try to become famous from what you've done. Focus on doing something that will make you a star, not just being a star itself. Still others view it to mean, quote, If you're aiming for something, even if you don't achieve it, you'll still be somewhere better than where you started, end quote. That one gives me a lot of solace for this podcast because it hasn't yet become what I set out for it to be, so at least I know I'm still better off now than I was when I started making it. But the interpretation that I like best, the one that I think has the most truth to it, is the one from thefreedictionary.com, which alludes to, quote, the card game of hearts, in which players lose points for every heart they hold at the end of the game. But, in one version, a player dealt the right cards can shoot the moon. That is, try to take all the hearts for a bonus. Here, the phrase means to risk everything for the ultimate prize. End quote. And I can really relate to that. 
In making PRRP and in catering to all the different niches, I'm really risking a lot of what PRRP has been in the past, whether a sense of stability for my listeners, uh, an adherence to the shortness of episodes, or just catchy theme music, all of that is up in the air in the pursuit of the ultimate prize, the star. In fact, since switching niches from comedy to news to history, reviews have actually been decreasing, which goes against everything that that successful podcaster I talked to informed me would happen. Although this past week when I was looking at the charts, which we haven't charted on again, by the way, um, I realized that his podcast is also in the history category. And so I wonder if he was feeding me false information so I wouldn't steal his listeners. Either way, I'm risking it all, my entire podcast, aka The Moon, for the ultimate prize, the stars, in the form of reviews, stars reviews, and subsequently, hopefully, fame but that's not the focus that's just the byproduct that you know if it comes as a byproduct that's even better so that one version of hearts by the way the one where the moon can be shot it's called black maria named after ostensibly the queen of spades whose name must be queen maria so keep that in mind for later leave a review if you can figure out why before the end of the episode but back to shooting for the moon a phrase with such unknowable authorship and an even more so varied meaning behind it, I think it's a really fitting metaphor for what we're going to be talking about today. Because the star system, or solar system, is the same way. It's littered with confusing and intertwining origins to the point where cause and effect becomes blurred. And I think, by the end of this episode, you'll see how stars and their ilk have been on the inescapable march towards the present this entire time. But that's not even what's most important. What's most important is that today, on PRRP, I have done what few in the industry have accomplished. Through steadfast researching and endless scrolling, I have uncovered the very first five-star review. So you have that to look forward to at the end of the program. But in order to get there, we must first load up on our rocket, aim for the moon, and miss. But first, we did get one review today, so I think I'll read that now instead of at the midpoint, since last week I kind of misjudged where the midpoint would be, and I'll just do it after the intro here so that I don't have to interrupt myself later on. I also figured instead of the sleepy nocturne songs, since reviews are kind of more exciting than history, we'd put like a morning turn wake up music to help you listen during the important part and put on the snooze stuff afterwards again. So today's one, we got one review, just one, but here's today's review. This review is a five-star review on Podchaser by Tiberius Hardy. Terrific production value and very calm and listenable voice. In this meta-inspired podcast, the host reviews his reviews, which is making me anxious to write my review. If you love a bit of tongue-in-cheek humor and a very personable host, this is the pod for you. Also, I think I've said review too many times in this review. Review. Agent Scott from Spy Hearts. So this is not a history review about what history you'd like to see, which is totally fine. If you want to leave a review that's not history related, that's better than not leaving a review. 
But right now we're trying to look for history to review. So this is not very history focused, um, but that's fine. Uh, one thing I had never considered before is causing people anxiety in leaving a review for this podcast. Is that possibly a reason why people aren't leaving as many reviews because they're worried about leaving a review and getting it read on air? Okay, if you leave a review and you include in the review, don't read my review on air, I'll, then I won't read it. I'll just, I'll let people know that there was a review, but I won't, I won't read your review. Will that make you feel better? I don't know why people are anxious. I'm not very judgmental. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. I pretty much, you know, except for like Roybus, I don't really dislike anything. I even understand that people do like crime podcasts. So it's like, I don't know what, where the anxiety would be coming from. But please don't be anxious. Um, that being said, leave a history review. This is a history podcast. But you don't have to. But also, yeah. So if you're anxious, let me know in a review. And I won't read it out loud. So maybe that will be. Is that a big part? How many people are anxious? I don't know. So, okay. Thank you for your review. I give it five stars. Speaking of five stars, after Apple Podcasts, the most notorious five-star system is that of the Forbes Travel Guide, previously known as the Mobile Guide, a magazine that rates primarily hotels. Another guide you might know, the Michelin Guide, rates restaurants, but with the unfortunate miscalculation of only using a three-star system, hence their inferior popularity. And food and shelter naturally being some of humanity's favorite necessities, it makes sense that they became the very first to be reviewed. It also does beg the question, does that mean podcasting is becoming increasingly necessary for humankind? Whatever the case, the vagueness of the podcasting review system might even be able to learn a thing, or five, from the mobile guide. They've got official notations for the ranks of each star, which I think could translate pretty aptly to podcasting as well. The official guidelines for hotel ratings are 1 star tourist, 2 stars standard, 3 stars comfort, 4 stars first class, and 5 stars luxury. Translation, you're listening to PRRP, a luxury podcast. I like the sound of that. And in fact, my town had a luxury hotel for a while, and I've seen firsthand just how much that designation matters to people. People would come from all over just to sleep somewhere else for a day and rarely want to leave afterwards, all in the name of five stars. And in fact, a previously ignored definition of shooting the moon is to, quote, leave without paying one's bill. And then it talks about its usage and origin, but I'm going to skip that. But basically, people would occupy a hotel room for a few weeks until they had stretched to the limit their excuses for not paying, then shoot the moon and move on to new quarters, end quote. They would move on from their moon, room, to land among new stars, comfort suites or wherever they were staying. So now we know what that actual rating means. But what makes a star so special? After all, for all intents and purposes, stars serve very little function. And now I'm not talking about the star system, the review one. I'm talking about the star system, the cosmic one. According to Wikipedia, 
Stars are simply astronomical objects, quote, consisting of a luminous spheroid of plasma held together by its own gravity, end quote. Oops, they messed up their grammar there a little bit. Um, in other words, in all manners of speaking, stars are literally pointless. So how come they pervade every fiber of our everyday life? Why are they associated with glamour and success and status? There's no better symbol for quality in our modern culture than the star. Heck, even Wikipedia's article for star has a small bronze star in the top corner to denote it as a featured article, which, quote, are considered to be some of the best articles Wikipedia has to offer, as determined by Wikipedia's editors, end quote. A bit of bad grammar again there from Wikipedia, but it's because of the star system. Not the space system I just mentioned, but the one from Hollywood. All of us listening to this right now have only ever been alive since filmmaking began almost a hundred years or a century ago. All we've known has been curated and paraded around celebrities as devised by studios to sell films. And while most of us want to land among the stars, aka become famous, what did people look towards before movies as their aspirations or even inspiration? How long has it been this way? Jeff Chaucer, the inventor of English, coined the term celebrity and famous when he first started writing words down. So that's been in our DNA since the inception of our language. But it wasn't until, according to The Atlantic, quote, According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the first reference to a star of the stage came in 1751, end quote, end quote. By the 1820s, it was common to refer to actors as stars, end quote. 1820. An interesting coincidence, don't you think? But I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Apologies, this episode, like I said, is a bit circuitous. In fact, we might be finding ourselves wandering a bit. We're really going to need that aforementioned travel guide. By the time these travel guides came about in the 1900s, star was already in the vernacular. Celebrities were already the driving beacons of culture, and it made sense to appropriate that usage for the food-slash-shelter rating system, for both familiarity and ease. Mobile and Michelin both made these travel guides, by the way, and this is something your history books won't tell you, to sell more automobiles. These companies were competing for road space, and thought by reviewing restaurants and hotels all day, people would want to drive to those locations, using tires and oil to check them out. But there's another reason that stars are considered such a reliable metric of telling you what to do and where to go. Before the car, before the aeroplane, and before the telephone, the only way to travel was by boat. And so if you happen to find yourself in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the night, there was nothing you could do but yell for help. That is, unless you had some celebrities, aka stars, to guide you. No, I'm talking not about the Hollywood star system, but back again to the space star system, the meaningless blob one, the night sky. Yes, early navigation is another reason we view celebrities as such guiding lights, because we used stars to chart our very course through life. The most important star system, the stellar landmark by which all boats or any other seafaring vessels rely on to no end, is of course the Crux, a constellation pointing directly towards the pole, 
helping sailors orient themselves in order to traverse the vast ocean. Until the discovery of the crux, everyone just set sail by crossing their fingers and hoping for the best. No pun intended on crossing, by the way. I wrote that down so I wouldn't forget to say it. But now, with this simple symbol of clarity, anyone can travel from continent to continent without crashing into icebergs along the way. And I can't help but think, if only the Titanic had been using stars to navigate instead of, quote, a veritable forest of instruments, end quote. That's from The Shipbuilder magazine. History might have turned out a lot differently. Maybe Whitestead would even have been alive to write the very first podcast review. Wishful thinking aside, can you guess how many stars make up the crux? Five stars. That's right. From the beginning of human history, the earliest and best known navigation tool has been five stars. Five stars has been guiding us this whole time. It's only natural that it's been passed on to the present. But again, we're meandering. A bit directionless, if you will. We'll need to harness those stars yet again as a travel guide to get us back to the crux of the matter. The travel guide. Now, Michelin and Mobile were not the originators of the star as review. That's an idea that they took from another, almost 100 years or a century before. One John Murray III, the son of John Murray II and grandchild of John Murray I, who may very well have been the great-great-nephew of Pontios I. Surnames aside, they had a lot in common, and I imagine it could have been genetic. For instance, John I published two newspapers in the late 1700s, The English Review and The Star, decades before the first five-star review. The idea was there, waiting in the ether, but it just needed some time to coalesce. By the way, another first by the prescient genealogy of reviewers, The Star was the first daily evening newspaper in the world. Just saying. Then, John II launched his own quarterly review in 1809, quarter meaning four, almost making it to five stars, but just not quite. But it wasn't until John III published Murray's Handbooks for Travelers in 1836 that the five-star review was born. Now you might think we've come to the crux of it yet again, the very first five-star review. What was it, a hotel or perhaps even a restaurant? But this is no ordinary history podcast. We're doing a deeper dive into history. We're looking at things too obscure and too important to be featured in any other podcast in order to climb the charts the highest and get the reviews the most. So in order to do that, we needed to use the most superlative, most extreme, and need to go on the deepest possible dive. A dive into the Mariana Trench of history. Enter one Mariana Stark, the mother of the travel guide and the inventor of the five-star review. Not much is known about Mariana's early life, but I'll read what limited information I could find. This is from the Literary Encyclopedia. Quote, Mariana Stark spent her early years in Southeast India, absorbing Anglo-Indian life and culture before relocating with her family to Epsom, Surrey. Stark's experiences in India would color her later dramatic productions, including her first play, a sentimental comedy entitled The Sword of Peace or A Voyage of Love, which opened at the Haymarket Theatre, London, on 9 August 1788, and enjoyed a run of six performances. 
Her next production, a tragedy called The Widow of Malabar, end quote. There, unfortunately, the biography cuts off because, and I quote, Please log in to consult the article in its entirety. If you are not a member of a subscribing institution, you will need to purchase a personal subscription. For more information on how to subscribe as an individual user, please see under individual subscriptions, end quote. Or, as the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography puts it, quote, you do not currently have access to this article, end quote. So here the trail runs cold. Whatever happened in those years is now lost to history. But here's what we do know. It seems that before she became the world traveler that would change all of our lives, Mariana was a playwright and poet, quote, early in her career, but was discouraged by harsh reviews, end quote. How truly ironic. The creator of the modern review being undone by them in the first place. In fact, what would be even more ironic is that if that 1788 play was reviewed in the inaugural edition of John 1's The Star. Now, I don't know if it was. I couldn't find anything out about that. But just imagine, that would be something. Regardless, at the time, after getting all that negative press, she was likely cross. And here I wrote, no pun intended again. But little did she know that those harsh reviews would in fact guide her path to usher in a new era of reviews entirely. Maybe she was even subconsciously realizing the flaws in the reviews that she received and wanted to do future reviews justice. This is where I find another reviewer supremely relatable again, because in her despondency about not being well received to history, she fled to Italy because she never knew the impact that she would have. But in doing so, she was able to change the world. And this gives me hope as well. Maybe my life didn't turn out how I'd imagined it would three years ago, but maybe now I'll be remembered as the podcast who got, in its third season, the most reviews of all time. So, leave a review if you agree. In the end, and I'm going to try to keep this short on account of how long this is already taking, in her travels, Mariana was able to compile and write the Modern Travel Guide, first published by, and then later stylistically copied by, the John Murray family themselves for their own handbooks, which then were of course used as a template for the Mobile and Michelin handbooks, and of course which Apple Podcasts uses today. That book was called Travels on the Continent, written for the use and particular information of travelers, and listener historian, news junkie, and otherwise fan of the review, I have managed to procure myself a digital copy. But before we read that very first five-star review, a matter of chronology. This book was published in 1820. Remember that year? The decade that the term star became widespread? But this book was written in the 1810s. That terminology would have meant nothing. For Mariana, there was no pre-established metric for quality, and so she made up her own. Instead of stars, the very first reviews used the ekphoneme, or as it's called today, the exclamation mark. From her book, quote, For the benefit of persons restricted in point of time, I shall mark, as I have already mentioned, with one or more exclamation points, according to the merit of the work in question those productions of the chisel and the pencil which are generally deemed most deserving of notice in the public and private galleries of the continent." Quote. Her book starts with her visiting the Louvre, 
a famous triangular museum in France, and proceeds to list items room by room. And for ease of confusion, I'll just be calling all of her exclamation marks stars for the duration of this section, because star is just a much easier word to keep repeating. But you have to remember that reviews were still in their infancy. A lot of her reviews are simply the name of the item she's reviewing. The star, as it were, still being born. Right then and there. So for a few pages, most of the items get between zero and four exclamation points. Or star stars, I forgot, I'm calling them stars. Nothing to write home about. So for instance, the Statue of Rome, zero stars. Bust of Venus, one star. Ditto Trajan, three stars. But it's not until she leaves the vestibule, passes through the Hall of the Candelabrum, and finally gets to the Hall of the Gladiator that she spies it. The best thing she's seen all day. In fact, it's so good, she actually, perhaps accidentally, gives it six stars. I don't know if it was a typo, or maybe she was just very excited to see it and included a real exclamation mark after the five stars marks. Either way, there was nothing until this point of the book between four stars and six stars, so I think we can safely include this as the premiere and very first five or possibly six star review. This review is a six-star review by Mariana Stark called Statue Called the Gladiator of the Villa Borghese. He is represented as combating against an enemy on horseback. His left arm bears a shield, with which he is supposed to parry the strokes of his opponent, whom, with the right hand, he is about to wound with all his force. The attitude of the statue is admirably calculated for this double action, and every limb, every muscle is said to wear more precisely the appearance of life than does any other masterpiece of the Grecian chisel. The author of this transcendent and inimitable work was Agasius of Ephesus, whose name is engraved on the trunk which supports the figure, and whose design, according to Visconti, was not to represent a gladiator, but a warrior. During the commencement of the 17th century, this statue was discovered at Antium, where the Roman emperors had a villa, and where the Apollo of Belvedere was found about a century before. Thank you, Mariana, for that wonderful premiere review. I give your contribution to the review format five or possibly six stars or exclamation marks. So, 16 years later, the term star now being in the public consciousness, the only thing that John 3 ever really did for the review was swap the exclamation mark for the new star terminology, and then copied Mariana's previously published style, and history was history. But in a different world, your favorite actress might appear under the headline, An Ekphoneme is Born. An Apple podcast might be asking you to exclaim a review. Maybe the phrase would have been, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss your mark, you still might make a point. And who knows, maybe it wasn't the review of reviews, but actually this very guidebook, France being the first reviewed country, that ingrained itself into the Proust's mind as if through cultural osmosis. Maybe it's been ingrained in all of us all along. Maybe the five-star review is just a centuries-long quest for perfection. 
because in a lot of ways, this all seems so unavoidable. It seems almost supernatural, predestined in the ways that we've shown great reviewers of the past to be. Take, for instance, once again, my personal hero, Mariana Stark. Mariana Stark. Most of her surname contains the word star. And even though she only used exclamations, every review she left was undeniably a star review. And what about her given name? According to Think Baby Names, quote, the name Mariana means star of the sea, end quote. Star of the sea, the most important star of the sea, perhaps, the crux itself, the crux of the review being someone named Star Star? Who is more fitting for the progenation of the modern review? And how can we know that it was really Mariana Stark and not just the destiny of the stars themselves? And if you're ready for one more final proof, the online thesaurus lists, amongst others, the following words related to Stark. Quote, Bleak, gloomy, dark, or black. End quote. Mariana, of course, easily and often shortened to just Maria. Could the Black Maria, Mariana Stark, the night sky herself, Queen Maria, be the very stars onto which the moon shoots? You tell me. When you're doing these deepest dives into history and research as I've been doing, it gets kind of overwhelming and you get lost in the plot a little bit. You get all this information and it's hard to sort out what the causes and what the effects are, what's influencing what and how things are working back and forward through time. It just gets like really overwhelming, real chicken in one hand, egg in the other kind of situation. But hopefully that just goes to show you how much stars influence our lives and how much the review is intertwined with the star and how much it's all just like kind of overwhelmingly present at all times. But hopefully next week we can move on a little bit from that and kind of calm down a little bit to a more narrow topic. Now, obviously, reviews these days have taken on more significance since a couple hundred years ago where merely leaving a star rating was enough. That just won't cut it anymore. You're going to need some words to go along with it or else analytics won't include it in your rankings. But whereas Mariana's system was unrefined and possibly full of typos, eventually, collectively, as a society, we have settled on the perfect number of stars. Five. But what makes five the end-all be-all for a star collection? Is there something special, perhaps even divinely or even historically so, about the number five? Next time, on Past Records Recounted Plainly, we're tackling the numerology of five. We'll see you next week. <laughs>